And so let's take our Bibles and turn, please, to the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19, I pray that God would help us to, to know Him better and to understand His purpose in our lives. Sometimes we think in our, in our lives, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but uh, you get to a point sometimes in your life and you just question God, don't you? You just wonder, what, God, what are you doing? And then if, if you don't question God, you question yourself, what am I doing? And uh, can anything good come of my life? Uh, anything uh, worthwhile take place. And certainly, as as remind you, even this morning, we looked here in this chapter, and we saw the goodness and grace of God in the life of this man, Elijah. And so oftentimes, it's, it's easy for us to, to miss God's working uh, as we become distracted by the lesser things of this life. We become distracted by all the peripheral things, the things, the temporal things. And we miss, we miss what God is doing. You realize that God is doing a work? That God is always at work. God is at work in your life even when you do not realize that God is at work in your life. He can, he can work in the most glorious of circumstances. And we when we get and we and those are the circumstances in which we delight. But then there are times when life turns difficult. When things happen that uh, we wouldn't choose for ourselves. When we allow ourselves to come to the point where we take our eyes off the Lord. But even in the midst of all of that, God is still at work. And even tonight, we look here in 1 Kings chapter number 19, we see that God continues to work. Elijah, remember, he was suffering from depression, from discouragement, from doubtfulness. He was in a very dark place in his life. So much that he requested for God to end his life. In 1 Kings 19 and verse number 4, the Bible says, and he, right in the middle of verse 4, it says, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Christians, you and I are just like Elijah. Would you hold your place in, in, in 1 Kings 19 and turn, please, to the book of James. In James chapter... Number five, sometimes it's hard for us to separate reality from emotion and emotion from reality, isn't it? We are by nature emotional people. In your soul, that is who you truly are. God created you with intellect, with emotion, and will. We ought not be governed by the emotions of our lives, but rather by the truth of God's Word. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. God says, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God never changes, nor does His Word. Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. You and I, we change. We change our clothes, thankfully. Right? But our emotions change. On a more serious note, our emotions change. We change our minds. 
we change from day to day. But the Lord is the same. But we can learn much from the life of this man Elijah. In James chapter number 5, look what the Bible says in verse number 17. Again, this verse is, of course, speaking of Elijah. The Bible says, Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. Subject to like passions. What does that mean? It means he's just like you and me. There's the highs of life. There are the lows of life. Sometimes we look in the Word of God and we hold men up on such a high pedestal. And, and honestly, the Bible says that, you know, um, give, glory, give honor to whom honor is due. And we honor these men. We recognize these men, the lives they lived. But certainly above their lives, we look to the Lord. Because if God had not worked in their lives, these men would have amounted to nothing. And quite frankly, the same is true for you and me. If God doesn't work in our lives, if we are not yielded to the Lord, our lives will not amount to anything. But Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And in spite of all of that, look what the Bible says, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sin. We consider this the life of Elijah, and the greatness of of God in Elijah's life. And as mightily as God worked through Elijah's life, Elijah found himself in a place of desperation. And we learned this morning what you and I can do to overcome bouts of depression, even as Elijah faced in his own life. Remember, in verse number 9, the Bible says, What doest thou here, Elijah? And in verse number 7, we read, The journey is too great for thee. You know, life is too great, to uh, is too hard, too difficult, too strenuous to live on our own. That's why we need the Lord. Without Him, Jesus says, in John chapter 15, we can do nothing. And so we learned that we're not to fear man, but fear God. We're not to forsake godly friendships and we're not to neglect God's provisions. But tonight we continue in this story of Elijah's life. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we read together here in God's Word. We're going to begin reading in verse number 8 of chapter 19 in 1 Kings. We'll read down through verse number 18. Notice with me what the Bible says beginning in verse 8 of 1 Kings 19. The Bible says, And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, 
What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return unto thy way, I'm sorry, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshah shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be a prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. Again, Lord, we're grateful for the Bible. We're glad that it's truth, that it is the the only uh, source of truth this world has ever known. Lord, it's truth is absolute. And God, tonight we pray that you would help us uh, be yielded to the truth of your word. Father, may the word of God have free course in our lives tonight. May your spirit guide us into all truth tonight. And Lord, may we leave here changed. God, may you help us uh, gain victory tonight in our Christian lives. Lord, we pray for your strength. Father, we pray for your help. Lord, help me as I preach tonight. Lord, may you do a work in my life. Lord, may you do a work in all of our lives this evening. Give us strength to receive your word and ability to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessing in this time. And, Lord, again, if there's any here tonight who do not know the Lord as their Savior, our prayer is that today would be the day of their salvation. So, Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says both in verse number 9 And in verse number 13, this morning you should have already marked this statement or the question that God asked to Elijah. 
The Bible says, as the Lord speaks, He asks the prophet, saying, What doest thou here, Elijah? And at the end of verse number 13, we find the same question. What doest thou here, Elijah? Christian, what doest thou here? How did you get where you are today? God knows, and you know. God knows what you're doing here. God knows how you got here. There's there's nothing that escapes the knowledge of God. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. Yet he asks Elijah the question, What doest thou here, Elijah? I do not believe that Elijah should have been in Mount Horeb. I believe that God had a special work for Elijah to do, that that God accomplished in spite of Elijah. But more than a geographical place, God questioned Elijah, I believe, what, what doest thou here? Yes, in Horeb, but most, even more specifically, in your heart of hearts. How did you get here? Elijah was depressed. Elijah was discouraged. Elijah fled for fear of his life. The Bible says back in verse number 1 of chapter 19, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. Christians, he, he left, he fled, he ran for fear of his life, because he had taken his eyes off the Lord. And the same will happen to you and me when we take our eyes off the Lord. Inevitably, we will go where God never intended us to go. What doest thou here? What happens, though, when you find yourself there? None of us want to go there. None of us want to be depressed. None of us want to be discouraged. No one wants to feel defeated. No one enjoys living and suffering through these dark seasons of life. But what happens when you get there? What do you do? What doest thou here, Elijah? You're here, now what are we going to do about this? Do you realize that God was working in Elijah's life? And God can work in your life too. God can use you. Christian, it's not over. We make bad decision after bad decision, yet God rescues us from them all. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? I can look back over the course of my life, and some of the decisions I've made, I I often wonder, God, why did you allow me to make that decision? Well, I learned much through the poor decision. And then the fact that God has still brought us to where we are today is a testament to His goodness and grace in our lives. But what doest thou here, Elijah? Christian, tonight there's a handful of lessons we learn tonight as we continue on through the story, as God continues 
to work in Elijah's life. God wants to work in your life. Do you desire for God to work in your life? See, I don't believe that that Elijah went there out of a rebellious heart. I believe that he still loved God. I still believe that that Elijah wanted to serve the Lord. But he he was just discouraged. And he was scared. And he needed some help. And he needed some answers. And God comes to him twice. And he asks... What doest thou here, Elijah? You know, it's interesting. I think Elijah had thought a lot about it. I believe the the answer he gave showed what he had thought. It wasn't a decision that that he came to lightly. It's something that he thought through. Did you look at at his response to those questions that, that God asked? The Bible says in verse number 10, they're, they're identical answers. This is something that he had rehearsed in his mind. Remember, the Bible says it, for 40 days and 40 nights, he went on that strength of that meat that he had eaten to Mount Horeb. And all that time, as he traveled alone, he just ran the scenario through his mind. And this was, he was convinced of this, wasn't he? Christian, whenever you take your eyes off the Lord, we convince ourselves of things that are not so. And the Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 10, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Down in verse number 14, the Bible says, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He was convinced of this. Identical answers. Back to back. But Christians, I don't want to be convinced of what I think. I want to be convinced of the reality of God in my life. I want to be convinced of God's Word. I want to have these things settled in my life. Because without question, as you look around the room tonight, every one of us in this room tonight will go through a season of difficulty. A season where we we question what is taking place. A season, heaven forbid, a season where we, we become more distracted and threatened by the perception that's around us rather than trusting in the hand of God on our lives. But what do we do when we find ourselves there? Would you write these things down tonight? I hope there will be a help to you. The first is this. We need to learn to get along with God. We need to get along with God. As we look back here in, in 1 Kings 19, in verse 8, the Bible says, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights in, into, unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He got along with God 
the places in, that God mentions in His Word are very significant. The first mention of Horeb is found in the book of Exodus. Would you hold your place here and turn to Exodus chapter number 3. It's mentioned concerning the life of a man by the name of Moses. The Bible says, And now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. What happened? You know, sometimes we, oh, uh, Moses, he fled from Egypt because he had slain the Egyptian taskmaster who was, who was beating uh, his fellow Hebrew, and, and he feared his life, and guess what he did? He fled. Where did he flee to? Horeb. It's interesting, isn't it? And what happened in Horeb? In the same chapter, God comes to, to Moses and reveals Himself to Moses in the burning bush. And the Bible says, uh, uh, let's see here, in, in verse number 2 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is, bur- is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. In verse 11, we find the same response of Moses. And Moses said unto God, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, he says he has another response. He says, Who am I? Right? First, he says, here am I, Lord, but then who am I? Who am I? You know, it reminds me of the response that, of Elijah's heart. I'm no better than my father's. Who am I? But it was in this moment that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. The Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 13, it says, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say, unto, uh, say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Jehovah God, the self-existent one, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel. But who is this? Hold your place and turn with me to the book of John, please. In John chapter number 8. In John chapter number 8. In verse number 58. we have more clarity concerning who the great I Am is. 
We know He's Jehovah God without question. The covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel. But Christians, the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New. And the Bible says in verse 58 of John 8, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And people will say, ah, that doesn't mean anything. Well, then why did the Jews seek to take his life? If he was not blaspheming, if they did not deem that to be blasphemy, then why do they seek to, kill, to, to, uh, to take Christ's life? You see, in verse 59, the Bible says, Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. They were going to kill him, but it wasn't Jesus' time. He just slipped right through the crowd. But Christian, we, we think of the, the places in God's Word, these places of, of great significance. I believe that, that Elijah went there for a reason. Because he knew it was a very special place. It was a place where, where God met with Moses. It was a place where, where also that, that God gave water to the children of Israel. In, in Exodus chapter 17, look back in Exodus 17. In verse number 6, well in verse number 1 it says, There was no water for the people to drink. They were thirsty. They were in the wilderness. They had no water, so they murmured. And the Bible says in verse 4, that And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They, they, almost, uh, I'm sorry, they be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, whither thou smotest the river, Take it in thine hand and go. And behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because... They tempted the Lord, saying, the Lord, Is the Lord among us or not? Would you mark that, that question? Is the Lord among us or not? Oh, and because I believe that, that Elijah the Lord, had all of saying, these the Lord, is the Lord among things us going or not? through his mind. I am that, that I am, that hath question. said he. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord not? among us or not? And because I believe that, that Elijah had all of saying, these the Lord, is the Lord among things us going through his mind. The amount of God to get along with God. Do you know what else took place in Horeb? There was a covenant made. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter number 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord 
our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. What is this covenant? It's the Ten Commandments. Horeb and Sinai are the same place. We look here, we find the the second giving of the law as as God reiterates these things through Moses to the people, these commandments, these expectations that God has for His people. Is the Lord among us? Hey, this is the place where God covenanted with His people. Are the same place. It was a, a place of great significance. We look here, we find this, as the we, second as giving of the, the law. Place in our lives where, where God comes in, what doest thou hear? What you need to do is you need to get alone with God and remember everything that God has done for you. Remember that He is the covenant making, covenant keeping God. Interesting, the I am that I am. The same place where God gave the law. The same place where God allowed Moses to smite the rock and the water poured out so the people were cared for and nourished and provided for. It is this place, this place of great significance. You know, in my mind, there are places of great significance in my life. There are places where God met with me where God dealt with me, where God spoke to my heart, where God challenged me. Places where where I surrendered to the Lord's will in my life. I can take you uh, to uh, an address. It's 424 East Williams Street in Hastings, Michigan. It's a dead-end street. You go down the hill, up the hill, and the house is on the south side of the road. When we lived there, it was a tan house, had a big picture window in the front room. You go in the front door, there's a, there's a staircase that uh, on the left, you go up the stairs, there's a landing, a couple more steps, you go up to the top, to the second floor. And down the hall on the left was my room. On January 7th, 1989, it was in that little room where I prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Where I entered into that covenant with God. That covenant that we talked of this morning in our Sunday school hour, this new covenant based upon the blood of Jesus Christ, the transaction that Christ and God made, the promise that that God uh, made with, with the Son, that all who would come to Jesus by faith, the Lord would in no wise cast out, and He'd, and he'd give us this salvation, and we'd be heirs together of the righteousness of God. Amen. Imagine this, this place, this promise. Christian, when we get alone with God, we, we, go, we don't just go there to be alone. We go there to be alone with God and to remember everything that God has done in our lives. There are other places, many places in my life where God has dealt with me, where God has worked in my life. A place called Mount Moriah Christian Camp. I lived there for three years of my life. (laughs) These young men this week will have a chance maybe to go see that place. God worked in my life many times under the tabernacle of that camp. 
I can take you to church altar after church altar where God has spoken to my heart, challenged me, dealt with me, reassured me of His promises, called me, encouraged me, straightened me up when I was wrong. Christians, we must learn to get alone with God. Would you mark this, write the second lesson down as you look back in 1 Kings chapter number 19. That we pour out, pour out your heart to God. What doest thou here, Elijah? Christian, when you're down, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, just pour out your heart to God. Elijah's answer seems prepared, wasn't it? He was convinced of this in his heart. Whether he was right or wrong, he was wrong. But in his heart, that's exactly how he felt. Let's read there again in verse 10 of 1 Kings chapter 19. And he, Elijah, said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. It says the same thing in verse 14. You know, sometimes you ask people, hey, how's it going? And then they tell you, right? Whether you want to or not, just a simple fine is okay. You know, I'm roped into a life story here that spans 180 years, right, of my life. I'm just kidding. But, you know, isn't that the polite thing to do, though? Hey, how are you? Well, let me tell you. All right, hold on, let me get a chair. <laughs> you know? I tell you, someone who always wants to hear is God. The Bible says he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. God wants to hear you. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly unto his throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christian, God wants to hear you. When you get down, when you get discouraged, yes, find that place, get alone with God, but pour your heart out to God. Let him know how you feel, what you think, Share with Him the conclusions of your heart. But don't allow those conclusions to be set in stone. Because oftentimes we pour out our hearts to God. He helps us see things more clearly. He brings our understanding in line with reality. But we must pray. Notice the third thing, third lesson we learn is sometimes very, very difficult. We must discern God's voice from the noise. 
What doest thou here, Elijah? In verse number 11, the Bible says, And he said, God said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. The Lord passed by. You know what's amazing? As I mentioned before, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place. Look back in, in the book of Exodus, in chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33, we find that this is not the first time that God passed by on Mount Horeb. We find that this is not the first time a man was in a cave on the top of Mount Horeb. God passed by. You realize Moses was discouraged. He had already received the, the tables of the law, but he'd gone back down and, and found the children of Israel given to idolatry. Aaron had taken all their, all their gold and fashioned a, a golden calf, and they, and they worshipped God and did abominable things. Moses, in his frustration and in his anger, he cast down those tables of the law and broke the laws of God. And now, he's back at the top of the mountain. And he has a request. He wanted to see God. God's answer is, you can't see me. If, I, if you see me, you'll die. But look what the Word of God says in verse 21 of Exodus chapter 30, 33. The Bible says, The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. Hold your place here. Look back. In 1 Kings 19, the Bible says, uh, uh, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Go out there and stand. There's a place on this rock where you're going to stand. And the Bible says, uh, And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Moses saw God, and he lived. And people knew he saw God, because he radiated the presence of God from his life. And as we look back in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see that God passed by Elijah. And sometimes, Christian, God, God passes by, but we must discern God's passing. We must discern God's presence. We seek His glory. But so oftentimes, God is not in what we think He would be in. 
Sometimes we, we equate God's presence, God move, God's moving with, with, with loudness. With something extraordinary. Some cataclysmic event. But God was in none of those things. Look there is what it says. It says, And, and behold, the Lord passed by, right in the midst of verse number 11. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Surely God was in that. Something awe-inspiring. That rent the rocks, that, that crumbled the rocks. No. God wasn't in that. It says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the Bible says, and after the wind, an earthquake. Certainly, God's in the earthquake. Some violent shaking. Something powerful. Something great. Something terrible. Certainly, God was in the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. A fire! Something all-consuming! Something intense! But the Lord was not in the fire. But notice in verse 12, Something very familiar, I know. It says, And after the fire, a still, small voice. Would you mark that statement, a still, small voice? It doesn't matter how loud and boisterous the circumstances are. We must learn to discern God's voice from the noise. When God deals with His children, He deals with us lovingly. He deals with us carefully. He does correct us, no doubt about it. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every some whom He receiveth. But the Lord is compassionate, kind, and caring. So much so that even the small children would come to Him. He was not intimidating. He was gentle. And Christians, we must learn to discern God's voice. His still small voice. God spoke to Elijah, no doubt about it. But it was a still small voice. It wasn't like an earthquake wasn't like a mighty wind. It wasn't a fire. It wasn't an earthquake. When we think of God, we think, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? Boom! There it was. Everything was there. 
know how God speaks? He speaks in a still, small voice. At Jesus' baptism, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't believe it was some violent voice from heaven that shook and thundered and crashed. It was a still, small voice. That only those who were intently watching and waiting and listening could hear. Christians, we must learn to discern God's voice through the noise. There's so much noise in the world today, isn't there? There's so many things that, that clamor for our attention. <laughs> My boys, there's a, there's a Disney, we don't condone Disney anymore, but there's a Disney movie, or we don't endorse Disney anymore, but... Uh, there's a Disney movie that our boys really enjoyed. It's, it's called Up. Have you ever seen that movie, Up? Where the dogs, they see squirrel, right? It's, there's something always trying to, to, to catch our attention, to distract us. Sometimes all this great noise, we're searching for God, but there's so much noise that we can't hear God. That's why it's important to get alone with God. Because through the noise, God is heard. And in that still, small voice, God asked the question again, What doest thou here, Elijah? And we see the same response as he pours his heart out to God. But in that still, small voice, notice the fourth thing that we see. We find that God wasn't done with Elijah. Christian, know that God's not done with you. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Aren't you thankful for God's mercy? Here's, a, here's the man of God who has fled. He, he started at a day's journey into the wilderness from Beersheba. And now he's 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He comes to Horeb. He's a long way from home, isn't he? He's a long way from the place God had him. What doest thou here, Elijah? And God gives Elijah all these marching orders. Go anoint Haziel, king of Syria. Go anoint Jehu, king of Israel. And uh, go, go, anoint, uh, go anoint Elisha to be prophet in thy room, right? Hey, I'm not done with you, Elijah. There's still work to be done. See, when God speaks to you in that still, small voice, guess what it does? It heals your heart. It reassures you of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's presence. It reassures you of God's promises. I'm thankful for the Word of God tonight. You know that, that God magnifies His Word above His name? You know, you can listen, you can, 
You can listen to hear God's voice thunder from heaven, but friends, you're not going to hear it. You open the Word of God and this is where you'll hear God's voice. And as we read the Word of God, we find that we're all just pictures of God's grace. And God's not done with you. He can take that which is crooked, make it straight. He can correct all of your, all of your poor decisions. And He can continue to use you for His glory. But notice lastly tonight, in verse number 18, God brings us back to reality. Christian, allow God to bring you back to reality. What was Elijah's perception of reality? His perception of reality was found in verse 10 and verse 14, where he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And in his heart of hearts, he believed this. And he says, and I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. That's not reality. I want to gently tell you tonight that if you're depressed, if anxiety has set in, if worry has set in, if fear has set in, that's not reality. We can lay awake at night and worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. But tomorrow isn't real. Tomorrow hasn't happened yet. It's a figment of our imagination. And we worry about so many things that never happen, that haven't happened, and that will never happen. Elijah's perception of reality is that he was all alone. That all of the prophets were dead. That there was none that, that loved God. Even though he heard them say, back in chapter 18, in verse 39, that the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. He saw God bring great victory. And sometimes, Christian, if you can't see it, it's hard to believe it, isn't it? But it's by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And he couldn't see what God told him things were really like. In verse 18, look what God says. He, rock, he, he, he meets with Elijah. He says, Elijah, you've got it completely wrong. It's not at all how you perceive it to be. You're not living in reality. Let me tell you, Elijah, how it really is. In verse 18, he says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. Seven, if, raise your hand tonight if you, if you agree that 7,000 
is a lot more than one. You know? Remember, he said, I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Oh, I said, hold on, there's 7,000. 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Which hath not kissed him. Reality. You're not alone. Yeah, are they mad at you, Elijah? Yeah, they're mad at you. Jezebel, yeah, she's really hot under the collar. But don't worry, Jehu's going to take care of her. You know? <laughs> Great story. Rolls up to the palace, hollers in at the servants, and they toss her out the window. And she dies. And the dogs eat her. It's a great story. Who says the Bible's boring, man? I tell you. But God's in control. God is faithful. God is able. What doest thou here, Elijah? Christian, if you find yourself there, Put these five things into practice and allow God to give you victory. Elijah's time wasn't done. The following verses, he went and he found a man by the name of Elisha and began to train that mighty man of God, who was bald, by the way, to saying. The kids came and picked on him. Called him, oh, thou bald man, thou bald man. And then a she-bear came out of the woods and ate those kids. The Bible's not boring. Moral of the story, don't call preachers bald. And you don't have to worry about it. But friends, God is good, isn't he? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.